Hi, and welcome to The Take. I'm Drew Malone, and thanks for stepping into the frame. Today, our discussion is, once again, the coronavirus. And how should we proceed forward? Now, we talked about this a few episodes back, and I want to kind of discuss what is the overall philosophy of getting back to normal. Well, there is a lot of truth in those who say that we can't get back to normal until... We have maybe some kind of vaccine uh, in place. But I think there's also a good point in saying that we can't continue where we are now where thousands and millions of people are stuck in their homes, not able to go to work. What are we going to do? And I think one of the things is we can go back and look at history and say, what does history tell us about how we deal with these uh, massive pandemics and outbreaks? If one looks back at the history of the 1918 Spanish flu in our country, and by the way, it's called the Spanish influenza because uh, that was the first country that reported on it. The news press in uh, 1918 America and 1918 England, France, and all the countries that were a party to the Allies in World War One had very heavy censorship on any news about the outbreak influenza, even though it was, had begun to ravage the army in uh, all of these countries. It wasn't until it had actually reached the populations of the neutral country, Spain, where it was reported and therefore it picked up the name Spanish Influenza. Anyway, so what do, what was generally done in cities around America, cities around uh, Europe to deal with the Spanish flu? Well, unlike today, there was very much less of a federal government effort to encourage. There was no such thing as the CDC, and generally... Uh, mayors and states took their own initiative on this. And it was a pretty hyper-local issue, as it should be today, as each uh, affected area is going to be different than one another. So uh, local, hyper-local issues call for hyper-local answers. And that's the kind of politics that we need now. So what generally was done in these days? Well, one of the uh, things that was done in large corporations where there's lots of workers, say, you know, you uh, reaching back to then uh, industrial steel mills, uh, textile warehouses, things of that nature back then, you would have things like staggered work times. And this is reducing the the contact of people in general uh, going in to the mills, going into the warehouses, and um, staggering the number of people generally reduces the chance of picking up... Um, a disease, and I think this really has value. So, the real big worry with any disease is, especially getting a lot of people together, 
and bunching people together. This is why I believe that ultimately we won't have big, large events this year like the NFL season, like college football, unfortunately. Because honestly, that's where disease can get spread because you have one person in some place and they're touching common surfaces. This is going to be really bad. Generally, I think the... The issue that we really have to talk about and deal with is not how do we keep people from going out and about? Because eventually they're going to need to go out and about. That's human nature. They're going to need to get out. You can't keep them penned, pinned inside forever. What really we really need to discuss is how do we go out and about in the most intelligent and common sense ways we can in ways we can reduce the chance of disease that keep it under that uh, hospital capacity number. Because there is surely no way we can continue doing what we're doing right now. And there's surely no way we can just act like nothing happened. Because this coronavirus is here. Now, experts are saying, of course that this virus will subside in the summer, but there's a good chance if history, if the patterns of history continue with, uh, as they did with the Spanish flu, that they will come roaring back in the fall, and we're going to need some good answers for that. Gently right now, the you have the federal government expending large, large amounts of uh, money trying to keep employees on payrolls, stimulate employees right now and honestly the the costs are and the burden on the federal government to support people right now is huge and uh, it's unsustainable as well so i would say shifting the burden of production back to employers is should be the goal economically when it comes to this and perhaps what you see is when a employee gets sick, you might see the, the federal government being able to pick up quickly if if procedures are established for the cost of keeping that uh, employee employed uh, for the duration of the sickness, right? And by this time, we're going to also uh, be working on more methods to keep people uh, from having serious complications from this disease. Uh, we can have different procedures inside the workplace to sanitize different surfaces, to sanitize the hands, to keep people from touching their face, you know, like uh, making it uh, a company policy to wear masks while, while on the warehouse floor. Simple, simple procedures in place that, that keep uh, people safe and healthy because if there's anything, if there's anything that can be blamed for a high amount of death, it is certainly not going to be necessarily be people just stuck in their houses. It's going to be that we uh, were not creative enough with our procedures. It's going to be that we were lazy in creating uh, good ways of dealing with this virus. And now, this is this is something I think that's been on my mind that I think we really need to talk about and discuss. And that being that we have to go back to, we have to go back to some sense of normalcy. 
We have to move forward. We can't be stuck in this place forever, but we have to move forward with intelligence. As far as saving businesses, here's my suggestions. Here's my idea. We live in a more socially connected world than ever before where uh, information can be shared in a much more direct and personal way with per people. Let's use this social connection to our advantage to help out small businesses. Because if any small businesses, anything is suffering right now, it's small businesses. So what I suggest, and I've seen, been working on, they have, at least in the Seattle area, they have a multiple um, businesses and and groups of people working on a big collective Facebook pages to fundraise for local businesses to be able to keep them afloat so when we come out of the worst of this pandemic then these businesses will still be open it's encouraging and directing people to and making suggestions to people how they use their resources and we need intelligence we don't just need a plain old shutdown that's very two-dimensional thinking we need to be able to think outside the box here and see the other possibilities that can achieve a, a more positive outcome when coming out of this. Because if we do nothing and we continue like we are, then we will come out of this absolutely ruined. And the thing is, we, we have to work. It's, it's, it, it's in our nature to work. We also need to protect people, and that, that is a very good point. And it should continue the policies that those who are in the higher-risk categories, they stay home, or they reduce their uh, amount of time at work. Perhaps they uh, are more encouraged to work from home. Perhaps they can be a little bit isolated or kind of more grouped together with people their age that may not be able to get out and about for a while until we make better procedures and better treatments or even eventually develop a, a vaccine. But we have to move forward here. And I think we can move forward given that we practice uh, imagination. That we see our society and the way we operate as something that is moldable instead of just throwing resources at it. Because right now we have our stopgap measure is using the government as the backboard. You just throwing, dumping money into the economy and keeping it propped up. I mean, it has seen some very good uh, market stabilization, and that's very good. The stock market has reflected that. But that kind of economics is is not sustainable that that kinds of kind of hyper keynesianism keynesian economics is not sustainable eventually you actually need real growth rather than just moving debts around and that's where this creativity and putting in procedures comes into place and i think the more we begin to practice real economics the more we can actually grow because right now essentially we have the economy on 
some stimulate some stimulation. It's like it's on uh, life support right now. It's getting it's getting antibodies. It's it's just it's surviving, but it's not thriving. If that makes sense. I think this idea is epitomized by looking at what's going on here in Houston, in Cleveland, in Pittsburgh, all over this nation. We have uh, uh, food banks that are working overtime, quadruple, uh, ten times, hundred times the amount they used to. Uh, have to give out to people. People are suddenly not able to provide for their family now because of this uh, coronavirus shutdown. And at the same time, you and the simultaneously, you have American farmers that are losing thousands and thousands of dollars going out of business because they have no place to sell their crops. And this is really showing to me the kind of inefficiency that we have in our supply system. When you have tons of supply but no way to get it to the people that need it, uh, this is a, a huge struggle here. And there's no way at this point that the American farmer can thrive nor the people that really need the food. What we really could probably use right now is something similar to what they did in the... Um, uh, the Great Depression era, where the government is buying uh, the food from subsidizing farmers, essentially, buying up the crops and being able to smartly distribute it to people that, that, need, uh, that need food, that are going hungry. And this is going to happen when we have a shutdown in other third world countries. So if that, I think um, at some point, American farmers can be huge proprietors of bringing the world back and keeping it sustained while the rest of the world goes to the worst of the coronavirus. And that could be kind of help our economic recovery, especially in rural areas, because we can get produce from people that have it to people that need it. For decades and decades now, the American federal government has subsidized farmers to grow food that is never put into production, which is the kind of weird and unfortunate thing. But subsidization, it keeps the America's farms booming and keeps our farmers employed and keeps the workers that work on the farms employed. So it does serve a function, but it wastes a lot of food. And I'm my proposal in this is that let's not waste food because there are a lot of people out there that could use affordable food in our own country right now and countries abroad at some point in the future it's going to massively hit uh third world countries and the thing about third world countries is you have a lot of poor a lot of poor unfortunately that are given that they must shut down for public health they could literally uh starve quickly quickly now, if we have a surplus in this country and other people could really use it, then isn't it our moral duty to try to get it to them? What if we mobilized our military in a way that we would have never considered before? We have military bases all over. What if we use the military as a lifeline and a supply mechanism for supplying third world countries that are highly affected with uh, COVID-19 and getting food to people around the country. 
I would argue that this is a function of our military that is often not seen but very beneficial for the entire world, goodwill. Goodwill is an important factor that our military has uh, uh, bring goodwill of other countries towards the United States in the fact that when we come out of this, we could have better relations with the people uh, across the countries, better relations with leaders around the world. And if there isn't anything that says America should continue to be a global leader, it's America uh, supporting the world in a time of crisis. And I don't think that this can be best accomplished through international organizations as they've largely proved to be a big failure. I mean, where has the UN been here? The EU is falling apart. The WHO utterly failed. This is the time for the United States, when we have begun to recover from this emergency, to step up and really... Uh, cement its place as a world leader and an opportunity that we can do well. And this is exactly what we can do. Our military can be the face of goodwill for the American people towards the rest of the world, bringing a supply of American food and keeping farmers and the farming agriculture industry intact, which is a big bedrock of our country that has the chance of failing and it could essentially be used as a means of goodwill towards the millions and millions and even billions around the world that need to be fed and that want to stay alive, want to uh, sustain life. And this is a massive uh, goodwill opportunity to bring goodwill towards our country and uh, cement our influence as a a good and wholesome power. I would say there's a good chance that God can use our country, if we look at it from a Christian perspective, God can use our country to make a big difference in the world at this point. It kind of reminds me of uh, in the book of Genesis, when uh, Joseph, he uh, had when he had visions of a famine, coming to the world, he was able to uh, create a large storehouse of food in Egypt, and other countries were able to come, and other peoples were able to come to Egypt and and get enough food to subsist until the famine had passed, until the worldwide famine had passed. And we have a similar position here. We are, at that time, of course... Egypt was very much affected by the famine as, you know, if we compare it to a coronavirus disease now, we are very much affected by the coronavirus disease. We are the center of the coronavirus world at this point in time in April of 2020. But we can also be the country that makes the big difference, the country that brings goodwill and hope and brings uh nutrition and supply and and preservation to people around the world. And if we want to talk about what is it that's going to get us goodwill, what is it that's going to not allow China, which currently is moving its way into uh, political control in, say, Africa and other parts of Asia, 
what is going to make that difference? It's goodwill. It's people looking to America as the kind of shining light. And I'm not saying that we need to get involved militarily, but this is a non-military function that we can do that will make a big difference, I think, of the perception of the United States for years to come. And this is an opportunity I hope we do not waste at this point. I think one of the big points I want to make through all of this is the the real heroes of this whole coronavirus affair will be the doctors and will be the medical professionals, but it'll also be the people that are producing the uh, personal protective equipment. It'll be the people producing the tests. We're going to need a lot of tests. And this is a war. We need a high production economy that can produce en masse things that we need to win the battle against this coronavirus disease. But even more over my study of history, the thing that we really need is we need uh, chains of supply. We need creative people that can create ways of getting uh, supplies and goods from peop- from the producers to the consumers in the most efficient manner. Now, we have essentially created in the West the most efficient system of doing that. Typically, the government is very poor at this. Just look at how long it's taking the government to get out the $1,200 sub- checks. I mean, by the time we're getting the $1,200 uh, stimulus checks, it's people have already had double that amount lost in uh, in days. So I think overall the government has been a terrible purveyor of goods and services. What we need is a way to embrace the free market economy and, and produce these things en masse, as we have already done. Look at the fact that we can go down to the market. Look look at the fact that it's it's a it's a shocking thing that we have a shortage of uh series here. That's unheard of in other countries where it's a rarity to get things, not a rarity to not be able to get uh common supplies. And this is the type of system that we're going to use to get out of this. This is the type of system that we need to get out of this to produce the the equipment needed to test. And we have a lot of production ramping up. Look at how fast all of a sudden we this country went from not having enough supplies in say a matter of well it's realistically it's felt like a long time but really it's been a few weeks about I think since Washington really had the shutdown stay home order it's been about three weeks so uh, we started uh, keeping up with demand for supply in say the last two two weeks it took two weeks for us to essentially get into a place where meeting demand for the need of uh, personal protective equipment for the most part Look at ventilators. We have enough ventilators now after a short amount of time. And look at the, the, the innovation that has occurred in the medical field in the past couple weeks in a matter of time. I think the, my last day 
at work was something like March 16th. In uh, real time, that wasn't long ago. It, it felt like a long time ago, but really, realistically, that was about a month ago, and we've already moved quickly to innovate ways we can uh, reuse uh, personal protective equipment. We've creative, innovative solutions for creating cheaper and more uh, practical ventilators. And really winning this war is all about putting innovation and the free market to work. And this is positive. This is a positive thing. And like I said, this is going to be the thing that gets us out of here. Look at how fast the the free market responded to the PPE challenge and bring us up to uh, snuff and supplying while essentially it's taken weeks and weeks for the government to even give out something as immaterial as checks. It's typically, and it has been the case that government is terrible at supplying goods and services. Inefficiencies in the government are rampant. I mean, one only needs to look at Venezuela and the number of people there that are are, are starving and, and standing in long breadlines to say, our system is much better. Yes, it is a for-profit system, but it delivers to the greatest amount of people in the least amount of time. And it delivers to them at a reasonable cost. We can mass produce items and food goods for extremely inexpensively. And people say that the solution to get out of this is more government. It was government failure in the first place that that got us into this, that didn't uh, put into place protective measures to get us out of this in the first place. And people say that the answer to a failure of government is more government. It, it's ridiculousness. It is pure ridiculousness. We need to put together the innovation to be able to deal with this crisis in the best way through procedures, through market innovation, through the capacity for the market to uh, supply. And then we have to put into place procedures to get uh, that supply of goods to the market and to and distributed to people as really it has all over and i'm saying that we can use the american military we can use the american merchant marine fleet as a practical way to use this free market system that the america has made the greatest economic system I think I would argue in history to essentially supply the world through goodwill as we've already done. We can use existing lines and ramp up production and really get food to people as the United States has been doing for years. One of the big things I would closing that I'd say uh, was able to bring down communism. One of the big, big, big uh, things in the history of uh, the United States' relation with communism is the the first trade deals between China and the United States, and this was during the Nixon presidency. When Nixon went to China, some of the things that China really, really needed and really had struggled with for years, 
And one of the reasons why they came to America was because the United States was excellent at supplying large amounts of food and distributing it to people. China has struggled with this, and it's been a historical struggle. The most common cause of death in China in the 19th century was was people going hungry because of a lack of supply of food. And now we have this system in the United States with uh, this free market system where food is plentiful. And this is essentially what helped open up China to beginning the summit-ish uh, uh, move away from pure communism. And to say that we need to uh, throw out the capitalist system and 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 let the government take over is is the most destructive idea perhaps we could have and that's why I really have always opposed uh, people like Bernie Sanders because they don't seem to learn from history and see that in places like where communism and where socialism was really put into practice there was a lot of suffering going on China suffered extremely amount when socialism and communism was put into place under Mao Zedong. And they began to come out of it when they embraced capitalism. Uh, the, the middle class in China over the last so, uh, like th- 30 years has grown by some studies that say at least 500%. And this is due to embracing a more American style of uh, economics. And let's use that system. It's, it's already efficient, and let's make it more efficient, and let's keep working at this. And eventually, we're going to win this battle. We're going to win this battle. When procedures get put into place and, and uh, innovations get embraced, and we stop this whole uh, resistance over the free market and just embrace it and le- let it ride, then we're going to be able to meet this crisis head on when we actually embrace it we stop being fearful and we say that when procedures are put in place and we are and we use wisdom to solve uh problems rather than fear then we're going to get things done then we're going to get out of this crisis i ask you to think about these things and i'm glad to be speaking to you tonight thank you for listening This has been Drew Malone with The Take. Thanks for stepping into the frame. Have a good weekend.